Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. A new study from the British Academy of Sound Therapy has come out claiming that listening to music can lift our moods and help us overcome sadness. Now that's not groundbreaking news to anyone who has put on their favorite album to help cheer themselves up, or who has spent hours carefully curating their perfect workout mix. But what is new about this study is that researchers found that music can be used to relax their subjects, and it worked in as little as 13 minutes. Additionally, it only took nine minutes of upbeat music with positive lyrical content to make people feel uplifted. This information gives practitioners specific statistics so that they may actually be able to prescribe music to help their patients. And this is extremely exciting for me because I recently interviewed Lori Finley Hamilton, a nurse practitioner and integrative health coach. She has been studying music's effect on the mind, body, and spirit for years, and I am so happy to share our conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Lori. Hi there, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming and talking to us. Absolutely. Would you like to explain a little about yourself and what you do and a little bit about your history? Sure. Thank you. Well, you know, I've always, always, always loved music. Uh, that comes from my childhood. My grandparents loved music. My father did. Um, as a young girl, I started playing the flute, and then I started playing the violin and the organ for a while, um, but realized I really wanted to focus on the flute. And I always wanted to sing. At the age of 45, I finally started taking voice lessons, and now I have the gift of singing for soprano in the Saints Unified Voices Choir, conducted by the beautiful Gladys Knight. So love music. It just fills my heart and soul. I started studying music therapy in graduate school, but my background professionally is that I started in nursing way back in the 70s, uh, the late 70s. And by the early, like 82, 83, or more like 84, I was working in critical care, cardiothoracic surgery, open heart, transplants, trauma, you know, life-threatening, heavy-duty stuff, and started reading then and studying a little bit about music and the impact on patients in critical care. Back then, music therapy was rather new from, a, you know, in a medical literature and was just beginning to be a, a course of study. And so then I started studying it in graduate school when I was a clinical nurse specialist. And the whole role of a clinical nurse specialist is to improve patient care. So you typically work in the hospital, you, you know, you do research, you're educating nurses and patients and doing patient care, et cetera. And that's where I started using it, you know, in the critical care unit, seeing the kind of research, you know, the impact we could have. Then I went back to graduate school again and became a nurse practitioner. So now I had the benefit of, of both roles and had my own clinics and um, could see patients and could, you know, recommend music for them in stress reduction. Because I always, I could see that we were in a vicious loop, a circle cycle of in crisis management medicine, of doing mm -hmm. a procedure and not getting to the root cause of the problem. And they would come back six months again to the cath lab or a year later and have another rotor-rooter procedure done. And it was like, this is nuts. What, what's going on? Let's handle their stress and their smoking and their cholesterol and their diet and different techniques to reduce their blood pressure, et cetera. And of course, music was very helpful for stress reduction in that scenario. Once I left 
crisis management medicine um, in the last 18 years have basically been specializing in what we call functional medicine or integrative medicine, integrating Eastern and Western. But the whole point of functional medicine is getting to the root cause of the issue, right? Instead of just giving a prescription to deal with symptoms, what's causing the problem? And let's use some integrative solutions to heal. So that's what I do now. I'm an integrative health coach. I work, you know, one-on-one with clients um, who have kind of hit the wall with in Western medicine and, Mm -hmm. and want to do things either naturally or want to support themselves as they use, you know, and integrate Western medicine. It could be chemotherapy. It could be medications for their brain. It could be different things, but they want to have full access to the other modalities that can support them. And certainly music is one of them. Right. You've actually helped quite a few musicians in your work as well. Have you seen a big difference in your clients, musicians versus non-musicians? That's a great question. You know, I think that musicians, and I've realized this as well, the more I study music and I've, as I've tapped into studying the voice, I think that musicians are more in tune with their bodies and particularly vocalists, right? More in tune with what's going on with their body and can tell little subtle changes in their body. And so they're more receptive to integrative therapies, energy medicine, um, and holistic treatments. That really does make sense. They're trained from a very young age to pay attention to their body and how they're feeling and and everything, every movement of your body creates a different sound. So that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting um, to work with musicians actually. And in 2018, Lori, you gave a great talk, and it was called Cells and Sound Vibrations, Music's Impact on Your Body, Mind, and Spirit. And I was blown away with how much research there is about how music itself affects not just emotional body, but like the very cells in our body. Yes. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's just so fascinating. And like I said, the amount of research, you know, from the 80s till now is just absolutely incredible. You know, the thing I, I love about music is the impact to the body, mind, and spirit. And you think about, first of all, a drug, right? Whether it's cocaine or sugar or chocolate, you know, it stimulates the pleasure centers in our brain and releases neurotransmitters, dopamine, and even kind of impacts serotonin. But, you know, you've got these feel-good neurotransmitters floating around. And typically, a drug will cause, it'll stop decreasing the amount of dopamine. Um, You know, it'll inhibit the decrease. So you've got this high level of a continual stimulation of these happy hormones. And that's what people get so addicted, whether it's cocaine or sugar or chocolate, whatever it is. Well, music stimulates the brain, just like you said, on an emotional level. And our pupils dilate and our blood pressure, you know, changes, and it also releases dopamine. So it chemically alters our body and makes us feel good. I mean, it is, and it it can be very addictive as well. Regardless of the type of music or the culture that you come from, music is a perfect drug of happiness. And it's really, really exciting to see, you know, the impact. Many, many people call it vibro um, acoustic impact of music, right? The frequencies. I mean, basically, 
music will stimulate frequencies in our ears, right? The frequencies will bounce together in our ear and then it'll go right to our brain and stimulate our brain. And it's pretty awesome, the impact that it has throughout the body. And then you get into some of the research on pain um, in the Journal of Clinical Nursing. Again, this was back in 2011, but they, they actually took you know different groups. One group got no music. The next group got to listen to their self-selected music, right? So they chose the music that resonated right. with them, that calmed them. And they started listening to music two days preoperatively until two days postoperatively. And they had significant, significant decrease in pain and anxiety compared to those that didn't listen to music because of the neurohormonal pathways and what it was doing and causing a sedative um, impact on, on the patients. It was really incredible, right? Wow. And they even said that they could see an impact on what we call the HPA access or hypothalamic pituitary access. So it's impacting your brain and all the way down to your adrenals. And it is decreasing stress. It's decreasing cortisol. It's decreasing all those stress. So they, they found an analgesic and an anti-anxiety benefit from listening to music. Wow. Right. Um, another study, this was written up in pain management nursing for patients that had fibromyalgia, and they saw a significant decrease in musculoskeletal pain for these patients. Then again, they've done this in, um, in good old Mass General when I was back in Boston. They started looking at patients that were in critical care. They saw changes in blood flow. They saw change, heart rate decreased, which decreases oxygen demand. They saw decreases in epinephrine, which decreases blood pressure and oxygen demand. Um, increased dopamine, which increases happy hormones and decreases stress. Um, and that's all written up in you know the journals of critical care medicine. They've done sessions with little children done music therapy with these kids that had cancer and saw that their IgA, which are significant markers of their immune function, they saw that improve dramatically in these pediatric cancer patients. So it's just exciting to see that. Yeah. Now that's so interesting. So all of that was just simply passively listening to music? Yes. That is simply passively listening to music. That's not even diving into the brain activity that comes from actually playing music. Right. That's from listening. The reason I call the talk Cells and Sound Vibration is because now we are beginning to see the impact all the way down to a cellular level. First of all, you know, for years and years as we've studied, if, if our listeners go back to basic biology, you know, they've studied the nucleus, the cell membrane, you know, basics, biology 101, basics of the cell. And for years, we thought that the nucleus was the brain of the cell, right? Right. Now, in the last decade, I guess, or more, you know, we have come to realize it's actually the cell membrane. Really? It's the cell, the cell membrane is what is so critically important to the health of the cell because the cell membrane regulates what will come into or get out of the cell. Can the cell membrane inhibit toxins or once toxins are there, can, can they help release them? Will the cell membrane allow nutrition in, right? Um, you know, there's receptors and, and the cell membrane is just critical and music impacts our body, our cells at the cell membrane. 
I mean, on a cellular level. And that's what I think is so incredibly exciting. Music impacts water. If, if anybody has ever, you know, seen experiments or read any experience about, about the impact of, of music on water, it's, you know, really fascinating. Our body is 70% water. Mm-hmm. So now you get the impact of, of music on our cell membranes and the water. Um, for instance, I, I've had, and I've seen research as well, you know, Tibetan singing bowls. You can put Tibetan singing bowls on the body and the frequency of, you know, that specific um, bowl can impact various tissues in the body. The vibration of music, um, the impact on the body, it happens at a cellular level with the cell membranes and on a tissue specific area. And so I started thinking about our bodies, right, and the impact of, of music on a cellular level. Um, and, and our bodies. And again, you know, there's research out there about the vibroacoustic therapy and how our cells are responding to both light and sound. That these binaural beats and single and um, frequencies, uh, they've been doing research like this for years. People have been using binaural beats to regulate the brain. Um, mm-hmm. There's a colleague that I have out there. He's got an amazing program called Brain Time, braintime.com. And it's similar to binaural beats, but you use head, headphones and they've got to be specific for the right ear and the left. And specific tones when played can rearrange the brain and, and the functioning of the brain. People that have had injuries from strokes and could not even move their arms, once they started listening to these sound frequencies, it will improve the communication from one hemisphere of the brain to the other hemisphere and start turning on the brain again. Like this is the power of a vibroacoustic therapy. This is the power of music and um, sound on healing our brain. So would it just be a specific frequency, just a solid tone or would no, it be? No, in, in his particular therapy, and he's got more credentials in functional brain therapies than anyone I've ever seen. It, it, I mean, he's really studied healing the brain. And um, so it, it's different tones. It's different tones, you know, at, at any given time. So it's really fascinating. So that's one resource. But you can go to pubmed.org. Now, PubMed, if our listeners haven't heard of it, it's kind of like the Library of Congress or the Google for medical articles. If there's anything of substance, you should find it on PubMed. So it's PubMed.org. And you can look up music or music therapy, and you can see how many articles there were. Now, for instance, back in 2018, there were 5,300 articles on music therapy. Now, again, back in 1985, there was hardly anything, right? 83, 85, 92. So 5,300 articles on music therapy, 22,000 articles just on music. Yeah, absolutely. In in PubMed. Now, two years later, there's 24,000 on music. Wow. And there's 5,900, another 600 articles on music therapy just in the last two years. There are articles on music therapy with autism, Alzheimer's, anxiety, cancer, dementia, pain, palliative care. So people that are, you know, in their last days, preterm for mothers and infants, right? Sleep and strokes. I mean, there are articles even for blood pressure and it's pretty fabulous. Well, I think it's fantastic because back when I was graduating from college, I worked in the mental hospital at UNC hospitals and we had a biofeedback computer where you would connect someone up to it and it would monitor their heart rate. 
and they would look at a screen and the slower they could make their heart rate, the more it would color up. Exactly. And, and so they had real-time feedback on how they were controlling their stress, how they were controlling their heart rate. But what I noticed is when we played a certain kind of music, it would help them tremendously exactly. to be able to do it. It was really exciting that they are doing all of this music research because now I know that a lot of therapists are just itching to use music in their practices. And this will give them the funding, honestly, because insurance won't cover it if it's not right. You know, if it's not approved. And so this is actually very, very exciting. It I'm is really very happy exciting. to hear that. Yes. Yeah. There are brilliant researchers. One of them, his name is Mark Tramo. He's from Harvard Medical School and he's done a lot of research. And he said literally, quote, undeniably, there is a biology of music. And, you know, just what you said about the biofeedback, I experienced that personally myself. You know, the experts at HeartMath, HeartMath is a, um, a collection of incredible scientists uh, and physicians from various specialties. Um, their headquarters are out in Berkeley, and they've been working with biofeedback and heart rate variability for years and the impact on the heart and the connection between the heart and the brain and how the heart can control the brain. And, um, you know, they've got this fabulous device called um, HeartMath, right? And again, it's biofeedback. And I have used this and I've done it. And I was amazed to see the difference in my heart rate variability when I listened to specific music designed to impact my body on a cellular level. Really? Yes. What was it? Um, I've been listening to the music of whole tones. It's some of the ancient solfeggio tones, um, you know, programmed right back to 444 hertz. And um, instead of 440, uh-huh. and um, there's been tremendous science, um, you know, specifically at at, at the different um, hertz. Some people have said that the, the original key of David, right? David would play for King Solomon and help his depression or help him emotionally. That you know, it was 444 instead of 440. So 444 is the key of A, 639 of E flat, 528 is the key of C. And, um, and there's different keys there. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular scientist, and again, some people would say that this is hocus pocus and energy medicine and way too woo woo. Well, this particular scientist, I mean, this is a serious scientist, Candace Pert. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2013 suddenly, but she was internationally recognized neuroscientist and pharmacologist. She had published over 250 research articles was a significant contributor to the emergence of mind-body medicine. And um, she had received, and this was during her graduate work, she had received the Lasker Prize, which is right next to the Nobel Prize in 1978. Well, she didn't get it. Her graduate school mentor got it, right? But she was the one that did all the work, and she discovered the opiate receptor. Which oh, wow. is, we're talking a brilliant scientist, right? Neuroscientist, pharmacologist, etc. And she um, started studying mm-hmm. the impact of 528 hertz and clearly said that, that there is an energetic dance ritual that's going on at the cellular level and that the chromosomes open and that, that, that the 528 frequency literally exposes the DNA to, the, to these frequencies and they heal on a cellular level. Help release trauma and PTSD can help heal various disorders. So it's not just, you know, this crazy nurse practitioner who does integrative medicine that thinks this is cool, right? Or or even the guy that's marketing whole tones. No, this is some serious neuroscientists that are saying, wait a minute, this is the impact of music 
on a cellular level, right? And so I, I just think that's fascinating. I mean, you know, when you think about um, neuroplasticity, I mean, many of the um, those that have studied the brain, we have seen the last decade, it's been called the, the decade of the brain because what we've learned about neuroplasticity. For years, we thought, okay, if the brain has, you know, some kind of uh, damage to the brain, a stroke or a traumatic brain injury, and you lose function, that's it. Right. Too bad, so sad, you've lost function. We now know that is completely erroneous and that we can train our brains to do anything we want. We can change and alter our behaviors. We can change and heal things. And music um, will help us do that. I mean, there are programs out there that, that will help you do that. They call it melodic intonation therapy. And, and they'll, they'll see differences between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. They'll work on different melodic patterns. And again, this is, you know, you can see that with, with children when you're singing and doing melodic intonation therapy, they just improve so much faster. And there was a study down, done in 2014. They looked at 89 patients with dementia and they randomly assigned them to a 10-week study. So they had um, a 10-week music listening group and then a 10-week singing group, right? And then a 10-week group and all they got was regular care. So three groups, one just listened to music, one actually sang, participated in music, and the other group did nothing. This was done at Beth Israel, again in Boston. Those that were in the singing group and the music listening group had significant improvement in the executive functioning of their brain. Those that participated, like actually sang, of course, had um, even greater results than those that were just listening. Wow. They, they also had a, a study, and these were with a stroke patient um, group, and they, had, they just did 60 patients, but they had a music group, an auditory book group, and a control group that got nothing. What was fascinating was there was a 50% improvement of their cognitive functioning in the group that participated and listened to music. Wow. In the, in the auditory book group they actually only had an 18% improvement. Those that did nothing had a 29% improvement. Really? Yes. So those that were listening to a book, it was actually like more stressful. They improved, but not as much as, you know, the the control group that that did nothing. (laughs) Well, authors aren't going to like to hear that. That's I know, I know, but it's, it's really fascinating, you know, to see that. Well, you know, and I, I like that there are also, um, there's not just scientists that, that realize or that are beginning to realize, um, the impact of music and the benefit on the body. You know, there are spiritual leaders from, uh, all kinds of different cultures and religions around the world who realize the impact of music on the brain and the amuse, or the impact of music on our body, the music uh, impact of music on our our hearts and souls and, and our communities, right? Um, um, this particular quote, um, his name is Hazard um, Khan. And he just said, you know, music should be healing. Music should, music should uplift the soul. Music should inspire. There is no better way of getting closer to God or rising higher towards the spirit or attaining spiritual perfection than music if it is rightly understood. And so it comes back to what kind of music are we listening to? Yes. 
you know, and as I reflect back on um, the work of Dr. Emoto and, and looking at those water crystals, like, okay, if, if our body is 70% water and this and the impact on our cell membranes, which, you know, are, are water and, and, and um, managing, I mean, there's cell, there's water in our cell membranes as well. But as we're m- managing our, our body and what's going on and, and we see the impact of particular type of music on water, that I just kind of put the dots together and, you know, go, this kind of music is not going to be supportive of my body and, and, um, and healing my body. I mean, this, I, I certainly love some rock and roll too. And it, it, it helps you, you know, we all know you turn on some rock and roll and we'll all start dancing and jump around and clapping and having a good time. Yeah. And if you're about to go play a basketball game, you don't want to put in some Bach and lower your heart rate. Exactly. <laughs> right. So depending on what you want to do, and that's, what's exciting. We can use music to support us um, physiologically what we're going to do. There's been music that shows if you play the right kind of music and, and it's actually the same beat or you're exercising to the exact same beat, it improves your VO2 max. Your, your oxygen utilization while you're exercising. I believe that 100%. Yeah. That's so interesting. And what I love about that is you were talking about spiritual leaders always knowing um, Western classical music has a foundation in religious music from the Gregorian chants. Yes. And that was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it's very fun that science is now seeing the scientific benefit to what has been done culturally for centuries. I mean, yes. even, even ancient Greeks had different modes to create certain feelings or certain attributes. Yes. When you look back to Psalms, back in Psalms 150, yes. it talks about, you know, playing cymbals and drums and, and timbers and, you know, basically harps and, and all of this um, are, are encouraged for us to commune with God through music. Well, I, I wanted to share this other quote with you, and I really apologize that I do not have the um, source saved for this, but I know his name is Dr. Murphy. But the bottom line is he was doing research into the impact of music on uh, our whole body, mind, and spirit and the impact um, even on a cultural level. And he said, quote, we are a country that has tremendous potential, but are being held back by pain. I'm not talking just about physical pain. I'm talking about a deeper emotional pain. I recognize pretty quickly, there are some places that medicine cannot reach. There are parts of us that can't be accessed with traditional therapies. We need a different tool to get there. We need a different language. What is so beautiful about music is that music is a different language. It is a power to reach people in deep places where sometimes speech or even touch can't. And he continued, the goal should not be to just be free of mental illness, but to be at a peak state of emotional well-being. We have to include music and the arts in our toolbox for working toward improved emotional well-being for our country. We need to create a nation that is as good at prevention as treating illness. I love that. Isn't that fabulous? I it's do. just like, listen, music and the arts is preventative medicine. Now we are not finished hearing from Lori. In part two of our interview, Lori and I will talk about the effects of music in education, as well as reasons why every child should have music in their lives. I hope you can join us for that. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smithsound Music. 
This episode was hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and produced by Russ Wilkes. Special thanks to Lori Finley Hamilton for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us. The relaxing music you have heard on today's episode was written by Keith Anthony Holden and was licensed from Storyblocks. As always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, come and chat with us at Musicians vs. the World on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us an email at infofrostedlens.com. At Thanks so much. <laughs>